This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, and even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Booksplode, Robin, year one. I wanna, I wanna drown you in a pool of blood. And I wanna, I wanna fix you like a heart. But I never had guts, no thanks, I'm a velvet touch. Soft money, soft look, soft until you stop. Untangle your wings and fly to a shelter. Welcome to iFanboy Booksplode, Robin Year One. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and I am here with Josh Flanagan. 
For now, you are. I'm still here. We're all still here. How are you? We're all here. We're all home. It's unusual. Well, that part's not all that unusual for me. <laughs> there might be noises in the background that people aren't used to. Yeah. Well, as you're, I mean, those of you who have children, your children are home. They're there while you're interrupting you while you try to listen. That's a very real possibility here. So we're going to work with it because this is the world we're in now. Do your sons have opinions on Robin Year One? They do not. They like Robin. The one did for a while. He doesn't really care anymore. The other one could at any moment now, though. This looks like it's appropriate for him, but <laughs> it's not so bad. Now nah, he kidnaps children, and yeah, it's, it's a little rapey. All right, so we'll get into that with spoiler <laughs> warnings. This is our review of Robin Year One. There'll be some spoilers if you haven't read it, but uh, it's from 2001, so 20 years is pretty much your limit on spoiler warnings. I feel like that vastly outpaces the uh, statute of limitations. A generation ago, this, almost this book came out, so you're on your own. So this is a collection of Robin Year One numbers one through four, which came out in 2001, written by Chuck Dixon and Scott Beatty, who he sometimes wrote with, with art by Javier Polito mostly, and also some art by Marcos Martin. It's a powerhouse art team. Colors by Lee Lowridge. Like, yeah. I got pretty excited when, I don't remember which one of us found this, but I got pretty excited when I saw that lineup. I was like, oh, that's very interesting. Well, you suggested it. We had started the year off thinking we were going to examine mostly stuff from the 70s that we'd missed out on, and we did that last time. But you came to me and said, hey, let's do Robin Year One. Let's do ch classic Chuck Dixon Batman comics, and I didn't have to be persuaded to do this one, so we were. I'm in. guessing not. So maybe people don't know people who were newer who weren't around 20 years ago. Chuck Dixon basically ran the Batman office for a long time, and specifically for a while he ran the Sidekicks. So he did write the main books, but at a certain point he ended up writing the Robin series. He wrote Nightwing. He wrote Birds of Prey, and so while people like Brubaker and Rucka were and Judd Winnick were doing the main books, Batman and Detective, he held sway over the family in the larger sense. And so when they were doing the year one book, this one and Batgirl, he took the reins of that. He was the man forever. He wrote great comics, and this is not an exception. One thing I found reading this book, Josh, is that it it was so good and so fun that it made me sad for other newer books that I was reading at the same time. I mean, it really was a thing where... It, because we will... um be nostalgic about books from this period and i think you and i both are of the mind like that i was in no way interested in nightwing dick robin or yep. any of that stuff but as i was reading the sort of enjoyment of reading those was impossible to deny like that whole family of not not the batman the batman books were good but they were very good the chuck dixon part was slightly separate at the time and just i mean i don't remember was it, there was at least nightwing and robin i don't know if there was others but they, they would do other oh, things birds of prey uh, he did the right as well yeah they were all very good, yep. like just wonderful comic book continuity storytelling with the characters really at least feeling like they were growing and changing. It was great stuff. And I think we look back at that as sort of a, a, a golden time uh, for these things. One guy doing it all allowed him to create this, you know, we always talk about the tapestry. Yeah. It felt like it was all happening together, even if they weren't crossing over. It felt like the characters fit in a, the same world villains crossed over sometimes stories crossed over characters certainly crossed over you know it, it allowed you to feel like you were reading this epic batman story for however long it lasted mm -hmm. you know it started in the 90s and it went to the, to the 2000s the point being we we look back at it in this way 
and it's it was interesting to see like well is this still really going to be as good as we remember it and sort of not far into this and also he's writing it in a different style too that should yes. be noted like it was uh more i don't know what era would you say well it's sort of the retro modern feel for this yeah in the sort of the similar to the cartoons where you know there's a lot of gangsters and fedoras and the art style certainly fits that you know back then we would have called it old-timey art style i think that was what we did call it back then <laughs> now it certainly fits into what people are doing you know it just as a matter of course but this is sort of feels like retro modern it is about the dick grayson first year so it takes place however long ago and you know dick wears like sweater vests and things so, so you, yeah it could have been in the 50s but there's technology you know there's their cell phones so it's it's that it's honestly it's become the popular style for teen stories now if you if you watch TV shows, most of them have a retro modern feel where they feel yeah. like they could be happening in the 50s or in the 90s or in the 2000s all at the same time. So that's kind of what yeah. the feeling is. Well, either way, you know, he wasn't writing in sort of his normal style. You know, they'd sort of done this this retro modern thing with it. And it was, I mean, I, I, this is your spoiler part of it. Like I was I was delighted by it the whole time. I thought this, oh, this is really, really fun. And this is so like pure. Mm-hmm. Like this, it's just you know, Robin Year One is just just tell a story. It it literally doesn't matter if it like well, just, how does this fit in continuity? Has it doesn't matter. It was a Batman and Robin story, and a Alfred story, and it was mm-hmm. it was really fun and sort of you know just pure superhero comic book enjoyment. And what's interesting about it is that you don't have a lot of stories of Dick Grayson as Robin in the early days told in a modern style. Mm-hmm. Because it happened in the 1940s, you know, he premiered in 1940. So this is one of the few times you're going to get this kind of story told in a mo- not in a golden age style. I would love a book like this, like a true Batman and Robin sort of early days told in the modern way. I mean, I think it'd be really interesting to see that. You know, that was sort of what we thought would the, be the idea with the New 52 reboot, but that's not what happened. But it would be it would be interesting to see that. I was really taken. And I remembered it vaguely because, you know, I had read it a couple of times, but it's been a while. It's been probably been five years, six years since I've read this. Really? Well, That's interesting. Well, maybe. There was recently a uh, Robin Year One, Batgirl Year One collection that came out together. So you had a, both stories in one book. Mm. That's probably the last time I read it when that came out. I was really taken with the structure of it. So it's four issues and it starts off, the first issue is basically like everything is awesome issue where Batman and Robin take mm-hmm. out some kind of flunkies, it's killer moth and people who aren't that scary, Mad Hatter, and it does involve sex trafficking, but it's mostly implied. But it's mostly about how great it is to be Robin and how great it is that this team-up is happening and how much fun they're having and how much good they're doing. And then when Two-Face arrives, you know, he shatters that image and that idea. So you get built up in the beginning. This is awesome. It's great to be Dick Grayson. And in the middle, it's just like, oh, shit, this is way more serious than he had imagined it was going to be. And mm-hmm. then you could deal with the, the fallout of that. I thought the, the structure of that was pretty terrific. I, yeah, I also liked how sort of the two, two to three, if you want to count Leslie Tompkins, but mm-hmm. like Alfred and Gordon were both sort of the adults in Bruce's life going, Are you sure this is a good idea? And, you know, he, you know, it's funny because you think about Batman as the guy who knows everything. In this, he's younger. Yeah. And he's being impetuous, you know, like he likes the companionship. He likes the energy, the whole thing. And he is putting aside the idea that it's super dangerous and stupid. And then he overcorrects the other way. And it's like, it's also, you know, you're watching Robin's thing, but you're also watching Batman mature, which, you know, they didn't get to do at the time. This is my favorite 
I mean, there's lots of great Batmans. This is my favorite kind of Batman, who is not the all-seeing, all-knowing, all-prepared, mm-hmm. super dour Batman that you get in most comics. And I enjoy that Batman, obviously. Sure. But this guy with the slick back hair and the heavy eyebrows, who's young in the beginning, he's making mistakes. He has this little family that he loves. He's just not the guy who growls in the corner in the meetings, you know? Mm -hmm. He's more human. Yeah. I love the look of this Batman. I get with with sort of the widow's peaky, slick Mm -hmm. back hair. It sort of recalls Mazzuchelli's Gregory Peck version from Batman Year One, but it's not exactly that. But he has the lines on his face like Mazzuchelli gave him. So Mm -hmm. it fits in that visual mold but this sort of era is sort of my favorite kind of batman it's interesting that because i guess it was the early 2000s you know the batman in the books reflected this you know like this the costume got more streamlined and it wasn't the yellow thing it was just the bat on it mm-hmm. you know and i think massacre is a really good example of sort of where i guess we all look to for that other than the original comics right but in this like it's a guy yeah, just a dude. He's not super muscular. He's yep. You don't see the bulging triceps and everything. It's just a guy in a costume. Mm-hmm. So and Robin too. Yeah, he's just a guy wearing a suit. To that effect too, like the Robin in this, it's great because you can connect the dots between this character and the adult version of the character, and like he really is that ray of sunshine. I mean, not. But so, you can see you why know. everyone loves him. Readers and yes. characters in the universe. Yeah, he's a good dude, but he's also fun. There's a moment that's really great in it because Alfred's constantly and Alfred's he's the narrator of the story and he's a great narrator yes. and he's a great it's a great Alfred in this. Also, if I have any complaints about it, I hate that narration font more yeah. than anything. I remember going back on oh, they were using that a lot back then. Even I had trouble sometimes. I was like, what word is that? Yeah. There's one point I'm trying to find it where Alfred basically is trying to dissuade Dick from being Robin and he he said he says something like, "Well, someone's got to help him and it might as well be me." Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the Dick Grayson ethos. You know, he's yeah. not doing it for any kind of higher calling. It's someone has got to help Bruce, and it might as well be me. He's like Spider-Man without the self-loathing. Right. Which is attractive. <laughs> you know, like, Spider-Man was fun, but, like, underneath it, that was all swagger. Dick Grayson, it's not swagger. Like, he's, you know, he's down with it, and but he's not a dick about it. I'm talking about a 12-year-old cartoon boy, but still. <laughs> like, I love the sense of the character in this. So I'm looking at just randomly came across this, but I remember wanting to point this out when I was reading it. on page 33 of the digital reader. And this is about a 215 page book, if you're curious, because they were oversized issues where he's doing detective work about his missing friend. One of the, at school, she's one of the ones who's kidnapped in the first story. And, you know, he's a circus kid who's really good at acrobatics. So he climbs up and he's got one foot on the bench and one foot on the door handle. And he's looking over the top of the door. And it's just sort of like, that's just so perfectly that character. Mm-hmm. the woman who's supposed to be watching was on the phone not paying attention so he is like monkeyed up the wall yeah to find out because he's a circus kid he would be doing that even if he wasn't robin mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff that it's in here that's sort of great character work that's you know not pointed out in the dialogue leslie Tompkins is also in this as a major character who has to help him once he has his confrontation with two-face and she's really great in this too that that oh god that whole era was because these are all characters that were heavily favored in the modern continuity at the time too Mm-hmm. Leslie Tompkins was always in the stories at that point. That's true, yeah. And uh, Captain Gordon here, who is not so thrilled with Batman having a 12-year-old partner. Hey, speaking of Captain Gordon, mm-hmm. now at one point there is, I'm trying to find him, there was another police officer there with him that looked like looked like Flass from year one, but 
that wouldn't make sense. And I was like, wait, who's that guy? And like he was talking to me, but they never introduced him. And I was wondering, I'm trying to find where it is. Oh, it's around there. Anyway, I think one of the things that was interesting as a contrast is we've talked about all of this stuff and it has a really light, fun thing. But then when it takes the turn, you really get your your post-86 comics. Yeah. And they beat the living shit on Robin. Yeah. And it has an impact. And I thought, oh, you're going to do this to him too? You are. <laughs> and I, you know, I wonder... I know that's not continuity, but and I don't think it should be, actually. Which? Like, he shouldn't get the shit beaten out of him. That should be Jason Todd's thing. And, at the time, the idea was they were going to make Two-Face into Dick Grayson's, like, main nemesis, his boogeyman. Oh, okay. They introduced that into the modern books and also, or just Robin in general, even though Joker killed, you know, Jason Todd. If you mm-hmm. recall the Batman Year 3 story, Lonely Place of Dying, was it Year 4? Where that, that introduced Tim Drake, that was a Two-Face story. Hmm. You probably don't recall that. You know what? Lonely Place of Dying Part 3 was literally the first Batman comic I ever bought. And there I don't think that I went back to get it. I just picked it up from there and started going. I don't remember, but I... But So that was Two-Face story. It. So at the time, at the time, I, I believe, if I recall correctly from the you know the interviews and everything and what was happening in the main books, they were trying to make Two-Face into like Dick Grayson's uh, nemesis. And I don't think it stuck. So here they have him brutally beaten by Two-Face. It's <sighs> interesting. So the, basically the arc is, you, the beginning is, like I said, Mad Hatter and a sex trafficking ring, which is much played for much lighter than it should be. Yes, a very creepy, like, the more you look at it, you're like, oh, that's that's wrong. That's not, yeah, so that's he's, not okay. he's abducting young women for this Vietnamese general who's going to be buying them from him, and one of them is Dick Grayson's classmate. Which is awful. When now, now, like, like now, when they make the like the Asian general the bad guy, I'm like, I don't, I don't feel like this is okay now. We have to make up a country. It's not like this. Not we're, we don't do this anymore. It's just all those little sort of vestiges from from different times coming together. And then in the middle, so then the middle part becomes the Two Face story, in which Two Face is getting revenge on people who were not there for him when he was burned. Oh, I found your Detective Flask. Yeah, actually, I was just looking at page 108 and uh, and 109. That looks like him, right? It kind of does, but obviously it wouldn't be him. He's walking around like he's one of those people. You know, like we would know him. Interesting. I guess. Because he's sort of all of a sudden there. And I I couldn't remember. I was like, why? And then I was like, no, but Flask wasn't ultimately... He didn't make it. I really liked Gordon's reaction to everything, which is where he tells Batman, basically, if anything happens to that kid, I will burn you to the ground. Like... I really liked that. Yeah. Everything in this was pitch perfect relationship-wise. Alfred was amazing. Gordon's relationship to Batman plus his reaction to Robin was amazing. Robin's interaction with Gordon was terrific because he just wants to help. Yeah. Leslie Tompkins having to clean up everyone's stupid messes. And then the villains were all terrific. You know, you had these classic Mr. Freeze shows up in, you know, after the Two-Face stuff in that silly green and red costume. Mm-hmm. And then it allows Dick, who's now been basically fired from being Robin, to redeem mm-hmm. himself by defeating Mr. Freeze on his own. The arc of this is really terrific. The one thing I noticed in terms of characterization was Two Face is a lot closer to the the Tommy Lee Jones version as opposed to the Batman animated series version. Hmm. Through this, and I I love the Batman animated series one. He's so sort of calm and controlled. Right. Uh, and this, like you know, he's much more manic and he's he sort theatrical. of laughs a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, way more of that. One of the sequences that I really liked is uh, when they're beating the they're beating the crap out of uh, Robin. Mm-hmm. Batman jumps out of the shadows and his teeth are gritted. Yeah. He's mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it's the first thing that you see him sort of really genuinely take it personal. Yeah. And I, I thought that in very economic storytelling and cartooning, I think that came across really well. 
we'll get to the question in one second. I just want to mention the yeah. last bit because I had totally forgotten about this bit. After Two Face and after Mister Freeze, you know, Dick has still been fired and he's on the streets and he gets mm-hmm. picked up by the League of Assassins and Shrike, who was a character back then, Shrike, the leader of the League of Assassins at the time, and uh, he so he goes along with them as they get in, they interact and it comes back around to Two Face. So the four part is Mad Hatter into Two Face. Two Face fucks up robin and throws the whole partnership in disarray he redeems himself with mr freeze and then he finally gets back at two-face at the end with the league of assassins it's a really well constructed story yeah but the incredible writing would not be as successful without this incredible art from javier Polito. and i don't know where marcus martin was in this it lists the pages at the, in the credits like it's just like a handful of them their styles are so similar that it's hard you know yes it's not really and we've seen that since then and I think Martine did most of Batgirl, where I think it was switched. I'm trying to remember what I thought of this art at the time. Because mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, like, I don't know if I would have liked it. I probably didn't say this sucks. This is a couple of years before Darwin shows up with yeah. New Frontier. I loved it at the time. Like, I was a Mike Parabek guy in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Like, he had the similar style. So this was always a style I liked. But I know that a lot of people didn't at the time. Well, it's interesting because it's very modern in its retro modernness. Mm-hmm. If I'm in, like, the Lee Ridge coloring, if you saw him color a book like this today, you'd be like, that is great. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, and this is, you know, a lot of people followed that. That's your your Dave Stewart palette. Your, you know, Matthew Wilson, Jordi Belair, the people who are sort of the best colorists yep. right now. This is how they do it. And this is how I think the best coloring looks. Where it's it's yes. it's not exactly flat, but they're not coloring all the tendons in Bruce's yeah. face. Yeah, or the shading everywhere. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. Marcos Martin did pages one sixty five to one seventy three, and the final panel on one seventy five, and then one seventy six through one eighty five. So basically, the last forty pages. It's a lot of numbers. I mean, basically one sixty five through one eighty five, excepting a page page or two. Oh, he did the heist scene. Yeah, that. Yeah, that. Yes. He did the scene where the League of Assassin kids go into the museum and do the heist. I can see that. Yeah. But he's still drawing to match Polito's style, but you can see him. Yeah. I was thrilled to read this again. It, it, really, it really was a lot of fun. There were a couple bits. Here, I'm going to share gossip. Unsubstantiated, but sort of. So there were a couple bits where the lettering and the storytelling was a problem. There's a bad left-hand panel stacking bit. And like the word balloons and the like all the stuff, it doesn't work. And it's very strange. And I got to another part where like... The word balloon on the right, which would be the second one you read, was up higher than the one on the left, and it was just kind of weird. And I had a friend, a guy I know, a pro, who said that apparently Javier Polito is extremely rigid about where his water, his word balloons go. Water mm. balloons also. He he <laughs> will he will brook no water balloon interference. No, no, his word balloons, and and so in those places where it's weird, it's very likely that is intentional. Because letters are really good at saving storytelling issues. And yeah. sometimes that's because of, of how a page has to be put together or how, you know, the way that something is written, you've got to sort of place all those things. There's only way to do it to make sense. And that doesn't always work with a lettering. That's the hard work of the job, obviously. But like in these instances where I was like, that's really weird, it was suggested to me that he's actually doing stuff like that on purpose, which, you know, for good or ill, it is interesting to see that there's intention there. Mm hmm. And to know what that is. But there was definitely a few places where I sort of came upon it. That's very strange. And and maybe it's, you know, to try to create a sense of disjointedness and sort of place or time or whatever it is. I definitely came across that a few times. Mm -hmm. And I thought that information sort of being added. So I was like, that's really, that's an interesting thing. Because he's like a fairly enigmatic artist, I guess. Not as a personality, but the art uh, itself. 
It was, I mean, it was, it was really fun. And the one thing that I got out of it is the thing that like, I know that Dick Grayson is your favorite character. Yeah. And I don't know that I see that a lot in the books because he's not anymore, but it's very clear now, you know, during the time where you were coming up reading comics and this sort of thing, what he was and how he was different. And it's, it's one thing to be like, Oh, they're just putting different little dark haired little boys in costumes and they're all different Robins. But I do, I love how they are really are different people and personalities and well, they kind of look the same on the surface. So you can sell a t-shirt and say, that's Robin, you know, the way that they move, the way that they talk, the way that they do things is all different. Even if you just had you ignore Jason Todd even as a thing, so just you know Dick Grayson and Tim Drake, and let's let's pretend there is no Damien. Just do that. <laughs> they, just do that for now. Dick is the acrobat. Like he comes home in the very first scene, and they get back from their mission, and Bruce goes up the stairs, and you know Dick starts juggling batarangs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's just little stuff like that. He's always moving. He's always he's on the rings. He's upside down. He's flipping around the room. He, whereas Tim is sort of cerebral and on the computer yeah. and is a better detective in, the, in the, that vein, more like Bruce. Dick is always bouncing around. He's, he does the showy jumps. Mm-hmm. It's a different character. And there's a reason for it. Like, it makes sense. Like, there's a line and, and it is one of those things like, why would Batman want someone like this around? And it's just because cause it makes him happy. I mean, not to mention the fact that he's, you know, he's competent in the story, but like, you just get the sense that like, you know, he gets his little smirk. He's like, just I love, I love that kid, and <laughs> yeah. I love that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like everybody else, maybe everybody else finds Dick annoying, and he's just like, no, I, I need, I love that kid. I need him around. You know, people and le- you know leaders and tough. You know, they have people like that. People just make him happy. It just and it helps that he's competent. But I really enjoyed that part of it. Was to just be like, oh, this is everything that Connor really likes about this character. Yeah. You know, very clearly front and center in the story. I also like that it was, you know, Robin Year One isn't like robbing off on his own somewhere doing something you know like no the 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 interplay the backing off and also alfred is a crucial part of that tripod yeah i think also made it really interesting in his trying to figure out what the right thing to do is and, and uh, but it's like that's also the best kind of alfred by the way also we've we mentioned this in the, in the neil adams story was it the last one the last book explode i think it was the stories that had robin were better and yes this is a great example of why them together is so interesting. Why it's so successful for, you know, from the 40s to the 80s for 40 years, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, until they, they basically made Robin a separate character who never interacted with Batman anymore. But them together, that pairing of light and dark, of the guy who's trying to be spooky, and then the kid who won't shut up and is bouncing around in the yellow and red and green costume is great pairing. And then you have the sardonic father figure who doesn't really approve of any of it, but really does. Yeah, that's, that's good. It's great. And then you have Gordon is is integral, and the last page is terrific for for someone like me, where they're on the roof and Barbara shows up. And did he say she was adopted in this? For a while, she was adopted. If you go back to year one, she wasn't his biological daughter. Kind of remember that, but that's been sort of forgotten by the wayside. In some stories like this one, she's his brother's daughter, and he yeah. adopted her. But here he says, so just ignore that, readers. That's yeah. what I. He says, "Not on your life, boy wonder." Now, that was really nice. I thought that was very, very cool and fun. Yeah. That ties into the next pairing for this team where they did Batgirl Year One, where Robin is a major character in that with her because they're very important to her development as a hero. This is sort of like a classic DC story. It doesn't take place in any real continuity. I mean, you could tie it into other things. You could probably tie it into like the stuff that 
Jeff Loeb was doing with Long Halloween and Dark Victory back then. It's a similar style some with similar characters. You can tie the Shrike stuff in with stuff that's happening in the modern day, but this really takes place whenever you want it to, and it's just a classic Batman and Robin story. So there's a couple of things this made me think of. It's crazy to me that, like, Dan DiDio didn't like Dick Grayson. <laughs> like, it's cr- it's crazy to me, because just given, I guess even his age, like, he must have grown up with him, and maybe just didn't like him for whatever reason. He's the best character. Yes, I reckon, you know, like, and there's there's this, and then there's, you know, the Titan stuff, and it just, like, it's, it's so weird that he's such an interesting, rich character who is sort of fully formed, but is a spinoff, more or less, mm-hmm. you know, from this Batman thing, and it just seems like that would be so valuable, and why would you not embrace that? It's weird, right? Yeah, it's very weird. It's such an interesting, unique dynamic and dimension to the characters to have these two together, and it's bizarre. It's, it hasn't gotten old. Bruce and Dick are different, and we saw this in the Robin 80th anniversary issue last week, or two weeks ago, last week. Batman has a unique relationship with all of his sidekicks, but there's nothing like his relationship with Dick Grayson. Yeah. He's the first one, and he's also the one that brought the change into his life. He treats him like no other, you know, of his of his sidekicks, and it's, it's yeah. a very sweet thing. There's a specialness there to it, and I don't know why you'd want to put that to the side. But... I agree. Who knows? Then, second thought, yeah. Grant Morrison... Mm-hmm who we love, mm-hmm. who also visited the Plague of Damien upon us. Right. By the way, the stuff he wrote was great. Yeah, we loved it at the time. Absolutely. I wonder why he did that, because I think now knowing how Grant Morrison, and based on reading him and reading his book and all that stuff, thinks about comics, I think he would have done a great Batman and Robin with this Robin. Like, I think he yeah. would have been great for it. Oh, for sure. His Silver Age sensibilities. I mean, I think... What he found in Damien was this little story that was a great story in Son of the Demon that no one had touched in 25, 30 years, whenever that came out. Yes, no, yes, absolutely. But to make it sort of be the full-on status quo. Well, I don't think he ever meant it to. That's, you no, know, he, that's he did end up killing him off at the end, and then they brought him right back without him. So I don't, I don't know that he meant that to be the permanent status quo of Batman, rather than just an yeah. exploration of this particular thing. And then, you know, they ran with it. He would have... I mean, I would love to have seen... Grant's take on young Batman and young Dick Grayson or young Batman. Like he would have, he would have been great at it. Like, yeah. like the more I was thinking about that sort of, fi- you know, not worrying about the, well, what kind of mileage does the Batmobile get? Right. None of that. Just don't worry that it's silly roll in it. And I think that would have been great. That's all. I found it interesting that two face always wore gloves in the story. Hmm. I just, it was just a little detail that I caught that I don't think I've ever seen before. <laughs> I don't think I had noticed He's that. He's very fancy. He is one of the more dapper villains. It's true. I mean, you, you definitely have to have those suits custom made. That's why he's always robbing banks. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> you know what little tiny bit? Mr. Freeze's robbery is instead of stealing money, he goes and steals all the blood at the blood bank. Right. And, you know, demands ransom back for it, which is, you know, it's pretty dastardly villain stuff. Yeah. And there's just a little bit where they have to put it in freezers like supermarket freezers right. and he's like what are we putting in freezers for and he's like actually that's to keep it from getting too cold and i was like that's some old school silver age <laughs> shit right there you know if you're buying these collections and there's there's a regular robin robin year one collection and there's also a deluxe edition i looked and they're both exactly the same in terms of content huh. there's a really robust 
and terrific sketchbook feature yes. at the back where you really get to look at how beautiful Polito's uninked pencils are. And not, they're beautiful inked by Robert Campanella, and they're beautifully colored by Leo Lowrich. But man, just the blue pencils in the back? Yeah, you're not wrong. It's something else. I remember how much I always love looking at like really good pencils. Mm-hmm. And like, again, that's a thing we don't see very much anymore just because of the way that comics are produced. Yeah. It's also interesting to see his cover layouts with all the wording being in Spanish. I was like, oh, right. <laughs> I don't think I noticed that. That's funny. Yeah. He's just a terrific artist. He's just such a terrific sure. artist. And I love this style. I mean, I was, we talked about it to death. I love the retro modern style, you know, epitomized by, you know, Darwin Cook. But this is terrific. Everything about this book is terrific. Yeah, it really was. It was a ton of fun from Jump the whole way through. Yeah, it's definitely worth your time, I think. You know, it's funny is I still think of like Polito as like a new guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, oh, good. It's, you know, like, when's he going to get more? And I was like, oh, no, he's been around for 20 years. I bet Same with Martin. 50s, right? Probably. It's got to be. It's got to yeah. be. I mean, it's just like, I think that's just getting old thing. I think I just assume everyone's 25. Yes, I think that's fair. But look, if you're home, looking for something to read, you need to fill the hours, as they say, you could do way worse than Robin Year One. This is a great comic, especially if we're looking at you know, an uncertain future for new new releases and you, now you need to fill your time with back issues until the comics come back, this is a great one to do. Yeah, and if, you know, you guys, if you're listening to this, you probably know the kind of things we like, the kind of comic that this is. You know, it's not burdened down with continuity. It's, you know, it's of the time slightly, but barely. And it's just, here's an old-timey Batman adventure that doesn't feel old-timey. It's just fun, good comics. Okay, so I was slightly wrong about back earlier when Polito wasn't involved in that one. It was uh, Javier okay. Rodriguez. Oh, different Javier. It was Marcos Martin on pencils and then Javier Rodriguez on colors. It's like Spain. Yeah. That's where all those guys come from, right? Yeah. And that came out two years later, two years after this one. All right. You can't go wrong. Were these, do you remember, were these like uh, the prestige editions? Yeah. Like the four, like four square bound issues? Yeah, because they were, I think they were like twice as thick because you've got 200 yeah. pages here minus the back matter, about 200 pages from four issues, so... They don't do those anymore, right? I mean, we've been no, reading really. digitally long enough, but not that really. was like a thing for a while, the, the prestige bound. Yeah. So you're talking about like two and a half size per issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, almost 50 pages each. It would have been those heavy cardstock covers? Yep. Been but, really nice heavy paper. Yeah. Good stuff. There's a reason why we started doing iFanboy in this era of comics. It was a good era. Mm-hmm. It was a good era of comics. Good stuff. True that. All right, Robin, you're one. That's our book explode. You can talk about it on our website or, or anywhere. Are we, we supposed t- to give this a number? Five out of five. 4.5 out of five. All right. I'll, go, I'll go there. Jerk. It's not bad. It's not bad, but. You can talk about our website. You can talk about it. You know, there's various means of chatting with us now. We have uh, social media, obviously. We have a patron page. We have a patron Facebook group. We've got a patron Discord. There's all kinds of places you can talk about Robin, you're one, but it's terrific. And I'll talk about it with anybody who wants to talk about it. <laughs> What about you? You want to talk about it right now? I'll talk about <laughs> it. talk about it right now. We can do it again. Josh and I have our weekly pick of the week show, and we should talk about the week's new releases. This week, there'll be new comics. After that, who knows? To hear more, we'll talk about it on, on next week's show. In the meantime, we have this show, The Book Explode. It's the companion show, The Talk Explode, in which Josh interviews a creator. Maybe you should interview Javier Polito, ask him about his word balloons. I feel like that might be a sensitive subject, giving my stance on left-hand panel stacking. But Are you the most militant person in all of comics about this? There are pockets. And you were their leader? I mean, I'm the, I'm the sort of the spokesperson. You're like the spiritual I'm the, leader? I'm the firebrand, but I'm right. not. 
you know, I am to left hand panel anti left hand panel stacking what I am to wedge Antilles hero of the rebellion. I see. Like I'm leading that charge, but I'm not the one who can really make the change that we need. Right. But I know, I know that there are professionals who are with me. You're a figurehead. Yeah, yeah, they largely so. Yeah. But the professionals keep doing it. I mean, and that is really the real stick in my craw. Why? <laughs> like it's it's it is known, and you can get there is there are ways to get away with it, but it's really easy not to get that right. And usually, it's a letter of saving your ass, and that's what they do all the time. The unsung heroes, right? Just you know, do what the eyes do. What did Gabe say? Action goes from left to right. <laughs> the most important things up front. That's in panel. Yeah, but it, your eyes have to go that way. Second, your eyes don't go where they're supposed to. Then the storytelling has failed. Chaos. Chaos, exactly. All right, so we'll be back. Josh will be back with an interview. We'll be back in two months with another Booksplode of Undeterminate Subject Matter. And until then, I am Connor. And I'm Josh. Keep your panels on the right. That's my new, that's my new phrase. It's your new sign-off every time? Well, like it, it only works for a very specific audience. Everybody else is just like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, you don't want me to go through it. <laughs> the, it's not. the supermarket. Yeah. Someone get this guy because of coronavirus. <laughs> 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 <laughs>